Hello and welcome to the Failure, Understanding, Care and Kunst podcast. You're here with me, Ruth Aitken and me, James Stuart Lee. In today's episode, we speak to Anna Honing. Anna is a Danish artist living in Moon, a small island just south of Copenhagen. We know Anna because she lived in Tromsø, where she completed her PhD in art uh, through the Tromsø Kunstakademie. We talked to Anna about her previous career as an architect, artistic PhDs and art research in general. We talk about art as a form of knowledge and, of course, we touch on the theme of this podcast series, Failure. We recorded this podcast outside in Anna's garden in Men. There were sheep and chickens and sunshine and warmth. It was uh, it was very idyllic, uh, but it was also very windy. So we just have to let you know that the first half of this recording is a little noisy due to the wind, but it does calm down quite a lot by the end of the recording. You'll be pleased to hear. We hope you enjoy the podcast. You are speaking to Anna Honing. I'm uh, a Danish artist. I used to live in Tromsø, and that's how we know each other. And um, I recently moved back to Denmark, and we're now sitting in uh, a lovely garden, looking over Moon in the, about an hour and a half south of Copenhagen. Yeah. Can you describe this place? A little bit. Um, well, there is a shed with some sheep that are sleeping, I presume. <laughs> and um, today it's a bit windy, but 19 degrees uh, and sunny. <laughs> um, why, why, why moon? That's actually a bit of a coincidence. We, we knew the people that lived in this really lovely house uh, and they moved down the road and they needed someone to move in and we were kind of thinking of how to get from Tromsø to anywhere, uh, you know, Central European. <laughs> and um, it was in the middle of a pandemic and it just seemed like a good place to start. Uh, and then we kind of ended up staying. Maybe we want to begin by by going over a little bit of your your background, um, because of course you're an artist, but you originally trained as an architect. So maybe you want to talk a little bit about your uh, formative years and your beginnings as an architect and your transition away uh, uh, from architecture, because it's something I don't really know anything about. Hmm. I mean that's I mean that's you know a recap of about twenty years I guess but like <laughs> but yeah um, I yes I, I took a degree in architecture in Denmark and I was studying with this legend called Natchard who who'd actually come from Bartlett in London and that's kind of I I I, I was so excited by everything he was teaching that's kind of how 
I ended up in London and ultimately got very disillusioned because I kept on uh, working for these, like, it was like right around the time before the, the credit crisis in 2008. And there was like, a, it was like the gold, the gold hunt for architects those years and kept on making projects for like oligarchs and Saudi princes. And I don't know, like the whole thing just got incredibly um, bleak somehow. Um, but I kind of also simultaneously got better and better at kind of making architecture illustrations. It was sort of like the beginning of, uh, you know, like those fly-throughs you see everywhere, which at this point, be believe it or not, it was actually really exciting that you could visualize something on film that didn't exist. It was like, it had so much promise and then it got so, uh, you know, superficial and horrible very quickly. But on that journey, I got really into making CGI and and video. Um, yeah, and in the end, I could sort of use that, you know, my kind of architect career to pay for a new degree in art at Goldsmiths. Uh, that that kind of took me on a path of kind of examining that tool, like, or what what this kind of doubling up of realities with this medium, what it could do and what it was about it that I found so interesting, I guess. It's really interesting. <laughs> like, it's a really interesting, uh, like, move into art. Like, how did you find that tradition or how did you find it being in the art world suddenly after being in this... Uh, were the correlations that you saw between the two worlds or was it as stark? I mean, I think like the biggest difference in a way, or the kind of most obvious difference between art and architecture is that architecture is always like, you know, the idea is that it's functional, right? You're trying to please someone. It's, uh, you know, you get, you know, the, the way you can best be an architect is by like almost like predicting what somebody wants before they want it. So it's like this really it's so pleasing in nature. Um, not to sort of like, you know, that can also be extremely challenging and like there are really good examples of like something that came out of that, but that was kind of something that I had to unlearn, I guess, in art school because, yeah, it's sort of about, well, it's exactly not about kind of repeating the the world as it is and kind of perfecting the world as it is. It's about kind of questioning it. But I also like that at the interview, I remember they were like, nah, architects, they never, they never thrive here. Like maybe do something else. They were like, you know, that jump is just so difficult. You know, you're kind of, you're going to have to like really, really sort of break down everything you thought art ever was. Because I think that maybe like in the sort of span between architecture and art, it's like architecture is so much about aesthetics and like art, I guess, it's also about aesthetics, but it's kind of using them more critically often anyway, or like, yeah. I mean, maybe just to bring us into straight into the, the theme of today, <laughs> but I'm just thinking of like failure within art, uh, or at least we include it in our project as being a, a positive tool or a tool for thinking or learning. But f 
yeah, f- failure in architecture is a very different <laughs> thing. <laughs> uh, do you think that failure could also have a place in architecture or there's a need to change ideas of failure in architecture? But I think, like, again, it's sort of back to the function. Like, failure is, like, you know, it becomes very real if it's, like, you know, the drains don't work or the ventilation or whatever. It has, like, practical consequences in architecture or, like, if, if it's, like, some master plan that makes a city unbearable to live in or, like, it has, like, human con- consequences because of you know, the function that's that's so important to that discipline, where I think, like, with an artwork, if an artwork fails, it's more personal to the artist. It might not even be, like, that obvious to everyone else whether it failed or not. And, I mean, I think maybe an artwork can even be successful and fail at the same time to the artist anyway. Um, Yeah, I think... But also, like, I also totally value the works that I feel like they failed because they make visible, you know, what needs to happen, uh, you know, in the next work or something like that. What do you think you have transferred from your experience as being an architect into being an artist? Is there any residue that is remaining? Or is there maybe something you're resisting, for example? So, for example, in your, in your art practice, maybe there's, there's something that you're, that, you're, uh, that you're engaging with that's a reaction against many of the learned habits or tendencies of architecture. Well, I guess like maybe the, the maybe there's something to do. Well, I think there's a lot of residue due there. I think it's it's pretty much a kind of direct continuation of my years as an architect. But and like what is most most kind of the most direct example of that is maybe like the craft or the skill or like. You know, the, there was an enormous amount of labor often in the things I do, uh, which often requires like making 3D sketches and renders and kind of um, drawings that kind of plan it out. So it's like kind of very elaborate on a level where, you know, I'm, I'm in a way, even now, many years later, not able to just like, you know, let it happen like sort of walk into a room full of materials and kind of like make some of it or something out of it. I can't really do that. It's sort of, I need to plan it out. Mm, so I guess that's like one thing, but yeah, I, I, I really think it comes down to like an idea of, I suppose having a form of craft, um, that I can't really make anything without, kind of an enormous amount of labor. <laughs> no, I do think I think it's very true of actually a lot of how you approach art making is so dependent on where you've come from in art. 
like I came into art from or time-based art but it had a very like heavy filmmaking approach and so I was just going to maybe while we're while we're there and we're we're talking about you know we're we're at that stage where we're maybe talking about your your transition coming out of being an architect and into studying art um maybe you could describe that transition if you will how was it how was the shock from going from the architecture world to the art world and how how did you find that quite strange hostile or maybe skepticism that you would thrive was that uh, for example when you mentioned that they suggested that architects don't last long was that maybe motivating as well or uh, did you or did you feel there was a real shock i mean that that I think when I started that degree, I mean, uh, I was like, I was in ignorant of certain things in art. Like, I mean, in a way, it's quite arrogant, right? I had absolutely no idea about art history, really. Like, I knew there were certain kind of works like uh, that's that I'd seen. I can't even remember who those were. But mm, yeah, anyway, like there were a few kind of video installations that I thought were impressive, but I had no idea about like how you know what came before or how it all like the bigger discourse around it so i think sort of you know understanding the bigger picture and sort of what mm, i guess like the political and sort of critical implications of being an artist i'd sort of never really understood before i did that degree uh, and it's sort of like now I'm not really interested in art that doesn't kind of also consider those things. So, I I, I mean, I, it was such a significant change, right? I mean, it's like if you only, if an artwork only um, fulfills like aesthetic criteria, criterias, I mean, sometimes it can be so aesthetically pleasing that, you know, maybe I'll entertain it, but... <laughs> But generally, it's like it's the discourse that I'm interested in, or it's the kind of the way of communicating something a lot bigger in uh, you know a non-verbal way, or like through through art rather than through an article or something. How did you find the professional, like once you, like leaving the art school, but actually moving into working professionally as an artist? how that compared to the professional world of architecture like did you find similarities there what yeah was it a was everybody just poorer yeah it's, it's the same ideas but poorer or like uh well well basically like when i left architecture it was like you know i ha- i'd had enough of this awful um awful capitalist world you know i wanted to to go straight to you know, the meaningful sort of, yeah, exactly like the pure <laughs> source of art making. And like, obviously that's just like wrapped in equally, you know, kind of despicable and capitalistic kind of 
structures, right? But um, yeah, I don't know. I I'm, I still prefer it because it's not you're not working to a brief. There can be there can be lots of things wrong with it, but it is still like a chance to explore ideas um, and be part of some bigger conversation. What do you think that bigger conversation is? Or, or maybe what, what is that conversation for you? Um, the condition we're living in, I guess, sort of... Um, I mean, everything that we're also talking about, but expressed through means that aren't so easily kind of so easy to decipher always but so sometimes it's like you get some messages come through that aren't really maybe intended or you know maybe like through misunderstandings or through whatever like you know there's like a kind of uh, parallel discussion that can happen through like uh, I don't know images or well, through artworks, basically, that you you can have a more interesting, maybe, analysis of all our suffering. I don't know. Mm, yeah. But also, yeah, maybe messages that are less easy to dismiss. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they, like, maybe stick with you in a... Yeah, more bodily or... Yeah, and per definition, they're not like binary, right? I mean, we're living in a time where it's so exhausting to be part of these binary discussions all the time. Uh, and I don't know, I really enjoy like works that that sort of make it that kind of question things in a way where you where you kind of had to work a little bit to I don't know see see a see a fuller picture, I guess, of the problems we're going through you maybe could maybe describe what half hidden well i suppose was or is yeah. uh and yeah you could maybe also give us a little bit of background about w w why that project as part of the norwegian artistic research program i did this project called half hidden and um it centered on mining uh, a mining project that Denmark did in Greenland and um, they mined this mineral called cryolite which ended up uh, being super important during the first and second world war because you needed it in order to manufacture aluminium at the time and that was obviously how you made airplanes and weapons and stuff um, yeah uh, and so uh, I finished that project in 2020. The, I guess, culmination of the work, uh, this research project, which was like in the end, it ended up being like four years because of COVID and different things. But um, yeah, so a selection of that, like the research I did in that period, ended up in this exhibition in Tom's at Contemplating, um, where as you walked in, there was like a a table um, with sort of different, I guess, sort of relics that weren't actually relics, but they were sort of these, um, I almost like clues as to what the half hidden might be. And there was always like a sort of 
an element of something hidden in them. Um, like, for instance, um, well, there was like a, an archive box with a, some um, vacuum pressed plastic that had a layer of um, polarizing film in it. So, like, at a certain angle, uh, or with using this kind of other polarizing filter, you could sort of see colors. And, uh, like, there was like this this hidden aspect of this kind of very fine layer of film, which was a technique that was developed using cryolite, like in the 60s. And now we're using it for like all sorts of things, but it's, it's important in at least like the LCD screen that was current until very recently. So I don't know if the retina screen is, I think it might be different, but, but so it's like, we are kind of, there are, there were these half hidden elements of this history ever around us, but um, and and what what you can see in this box with this uh, material is a text saying um, uh, the fidgety ones were here, and the fidgety ones comes from a myth about um, some spirits that lived in a rock that could very well have been. Uh, cryolite, but you know, as as I, I I couldn't really get to the bottom of what rock it was exactly, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I kind of played around with this idea that all these histories are kind of also in our in our gadgets that are kind of were invented using this material. So it's like the material sort of holds the histories of not just the kind of capitalist revolution, but also the kind of indigenous beliefs around them from before the, before that time. But yeah, another element was like a, a big sculpture that kind of made that construction um, as a kind of light lock into the video room. So you had like a massive kind of wooden construction with layers of polarizing fil uh, filter that kind of was a setup just like the LCD screen is like... Um, you have LED, um, what are they called? I mean, I, anyway, I won't get into that. But basically, uh, these two layers of a polarizing filter means that if you stand at a certain angle, uh, angle, it gets completely black, and once you move around, it becomes transparent. And that also kind of served to kind of black out the other room. Um, and in there, there's the video installation with the mirrored floor. I'll, I'll maybe t t t talk on the talk about the general, or, or maybe I'll, I'll start with maybe a reflection on the on the general, um, rather maybe before we go into the specifics about about that. But in terms of in terms of what you were engaging with, this was part of a, a PhD um, process, artistic research, um, and I would be quite interested to talk a little bit about that right now, meaning that. Maybe you could give us a quick debrief of what artistic research means for you and how you engaged uh, with artistic research or, you, or what your engagements with the concept and the application of artistic research. Is that question too vague? I'm trying to keep it as, as uh, I was trying to think of it as, as open a question as possible without it being completely meaningless but uh, 
I suppose what I'm really getting at is, or I'm giving you the opportunity maybe to to introduce um, artistic research, and then I suppose how you engaged and interpreted that idea. I I find it really difficult to talk about it in sort of general terms because I don't. I feel like, oh well, first of all, this discipline is so under. Or, or in development, I guess, and it's different everywhere. But so the way I kind of think about it is, for instance, in the project I did, which, I mean, you could have looked at that from a sort of historical angle, from a sort of geological angle. Like if I was a, if that would have been a, um, if I would have been a historian researching that, then I could have, I would probably would have attempted to kind of uh, get to the bottom of certain events and like kind of like I would have had a, a very hmm, I guess like a very clear-cut story or that would be the aim right that you would you would want it to be you would want there to be a sort of very clear decipherable outcome of that like where i would tell the story of this mine in evitude and um all the kind of implications and i mean i studied all those things but in a way the the end in the end the important thing wasn't for me that everybody got that got that information and that I made it very clear exactly what happened. It was like more sort of along the way in that study, I kind of, well, I mean, I came to terms with my own kind of ignorance of my uh, relationship to this mining project as a white Danish person who'd never heard about this mine. And like, I guess it was like all the, all the surrounding kind of very, um, I mean, sort of, there were a lot of taboos around that colonial, not necessarily that colonial project, but like, you know, Danish colonialism in Greenland, particularly at that time, it was like not, not really talked about. And I guess that became an important kind of backdrop or kind of, I guess, almost like the the framework for discussing these things in not as a kind of let's talk about colonialism but as a kind of like i tried to sort of build it into the experience like the kind of unease of kind of not really knowing what what happened and like what um the implications were or like the sort of in a way the ignorance of it was also part of it so and i mean i think that that's an, a really important thing that art, art can do that it can sort of stage um ambiguous experiences that aren't like i think so um it might as far as i know acceptable in other academic disciplines that is sort of like the ambiguity is is part of the quality of the work in a way i mean i, I don't i'm not sure i remember where the, the question came from can you repeat it <laughs> yeah i suppose 
yeah, as you're saying, maybe in the academic discipline of art, what is called research can be, there's a certain ambiguity, I think that was the word you used, that, that can be utilized in a way that would be unacceptable in, say, a, I don't know, a biologist's PhD or something like that. Well, not just that it would be unacceptable, but that it's actually like, I'm sort of saying like art is a form of knowledge that is more experimental than that. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of, if you're trained to read it and make it, you can actually communicate on another level that doesn't kind of require that, well, there isn't like a template for it. There isn't like a, um, which I, I guess is also the complication in formalizing it as a degree because it can really vary from artistic discipline to artistic discipline and it's, you know, it's hard to make kind of parameters for when it's successful and when it isn't. It's going to say great segue. <laughs> <laughs> really perfect. Uh, but actually, did you have a follow-up? Uh, not, not necessarily. It was more just the idea of, I suppose, how, how was it valuable to you, I suppose? Or did you feel you were able to bend it to something you wanted to say? Because it actually felt like it feels quite from what you're talking and how you're saying it, it sounds actually like it was quite natural. It was open enough that you you were able to go in and still do something that you, you were able to do the stuff you liked in it, right? You were able to use that formula of artistic research and produce something that, that was valuable because it, allowed a certain degree of ambiguous uh, or, or an ambiguous outcome. Did you get pushback against mm -hmm. that idea of what, of what it should be? Or do you think everybody was broadly on the same page? I mean, I think there's a lot of disagreement, um, like in, well, both in the kind of local communities uh, on like how, how it should be done, but also kind of on an international level, like there are different traditions uh, that tend to be more or less, I mean, academic or rigorous or kind of regulated almost. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's so, in the end, for me, I think uh, what made a big difference was that I had a, a really, really great relationship with my supervisors they were on board with my ideas and what I was doing and they were really good at, um, I think, joining or, or like I, informing or kind of leading that conversation about like what is the point of it, right? What is it that artistic research can do that other kinds of research, research can't do? So it's like, they were, I remember they were always kind of really adamant about sort of like, you know, to only, in these kind of defense type situations, to just always talk about the work uh, on the terms of the work. So not like try and take like theories and uh, sort of big 
names and like force it onto the work, but like try and talk about like what is it actually the work is doing that might relate to other theories that might be expressing some of the same things, but in on on the terms of art as opposed to like trying to be a kind of philosopher without having the training. Do you know what I mean? One last question here, and you can dive in. But what? Who does that benefit? This process that you went through, this artistic research, does it primarily benefit the artist? Does it benefit the field of visual art, or is it about the research project? So your research project was very much about the the mystery or the the hidden nature of Danish colonialism, and therefore it would be a benefit to, I suppose, Danish culture or something like that, Danish society. Who do you think it benefits the most? I, m I might take that question and sort of like blow it up and say like, this isn't about me. It's about like, there was so, I mean, we can call it artistic research, we can call it whatever, but I feel like there just isn't enough energy and attention being uh, paid to like this form of existing in the world or thinking in the world or producing in the world. So like any version of it, if it's good or bad, it's like I am for it. <laughs> it's, it's kind of like, I, you could definitely make the argument that I've, I've uh, spent an awful lot of time on researching this thing where it's not very, it, I mean, it's not very generous in terms of giving actual information, but I think it is giving like something that we're really short of um, generally <laughs> because everything is so centered around like consumerism, functionalism, it, like being effective, being kind of productive, being all these things. So like, I think anybody who kind of is part of producing an alternative to this is just an incredible asset in the time we're living in. But I think also like just to add to that question, I think wouldn't you rather live in a place that was that where it's so it was taken for granted that Art is an equally form of equally important form of knowledge to science, to uh, medicine, to like why not? Like I mean, it was, but we sort of like we're, it's just like it's harder to argue for that form of knowledge now. In the sort of I don't know, it doesn't have a value that is so kind of uniform, uniformly kind of embraced. I, w I would just say that uh, because I think it's we generally would understand that like uh, in science that you have a that the inquiry is integral not necessarily the outcome the outcomes will you will have like a mix of different outcomes and a lot of that will be failure and that failure that uh, well like in all disciplines right yeah, yeah like in all disciplines and I would say that there's a general understanding in these other, you know, your STEM course uh, subjects in a way that there isn't with art. But actually, I think these metrics are applied. Like, this is a 
quite totalizing ideology of productivity and consumption, and particularly within the academy. Uh, everything is very outcome focused also. So it is, it is something that it impacts the arts or maybe we're the vanguard of it because we've never really been productive in a, a useful capitalist sense of outside of the art market. But it is very much, uh, yeah, totalizing force across all research fields, I feel. Or when you read about like uh, the experiences of researchers and scientists working in other fields, um, and how driven funding and research questions are by interaction on uh, social media, mm. <laughs> citations in uh, online blogs, and uh, and. Yeah, like whether a pharmaceutical company is willing to sponsor your research or not, which will always be, you know, a tiny, tiny percentage of the possible realm that you can research in or will always yeah, be very focused. But also like, I mean, I don't know. I don't know the numbers, right? But I'm sure there are plenty of like super eccentric research projects in biology or medicine or whatever that never go anywhere, right? I mean, it's sort of, and and there is probably not the same pressure that those eccentric projects should also, meanwhile, they're being carried out, somehow be available mm. for public evaluation along the way, which is effectively what artistic research has to do. It's sort of because everything you have to exhibit, of course, and I mean, I'm not saying that that should change. It's just that there is it's very quickly gets the flavor of like, you know, is it just an artist kind of like taking the opportunity to get this money to like make work? <laughs> I mean, as if the, as if that's like a particularly selfish thing to do, but it, it's actually kind of, I mean, I, I agree that there is an important um, discussion about like, what is artistic research that has to be part of it if it is a research project. But it's, it's, I think there is like this, there's always like this, it's, you very often run into some kind of skepticism that it isn't actually research, it's, it's just somebody who needs a chance to make work, right? I mean, but that's implicit in all research, I guess.
I feel quite provoked by this idea of, of art as knowledge. That's not necessarily a bad provocation, right? Hmm, okay. It's just Let's trying to it. think through the... No, I mean, no, I, I, like, I, I, I mean, I'm hearing it for the first time as it comes out of my <laughs> mouth, really. <laughs> trying to wonder what the way down the line, what the implications are of that. Is there good knowledge and bad knowledge? Could you maybe have like a dark art installation, like uh, you know, somebody providing bad knowledge or something like that? I don't know. Like I suppose propaganda in a way would be part of that, or is part of the knowledge of art that we're able to uh, we become aware of when we are being propagandized, and there's a value in the sense of that criticality. Well, spreading I, deeper into society in terms of a deeper visual literacy and then maybe how does that how uh, how do we how do we spread that further if that makes sense if if that is a good attitude to have how does it penetrate deeper that critical cr- critical visual knowledge <laughs> are you meaning like is there uh like the manhattan project of the art world or like the mengdala of the art world like, is there? Uh, well, because art obviously, that is, is for bad in the world. Um, I mean, we're very, very getting off topic, but I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, obviously, in my head, uh, there's Rennie, uh, Riefenstahl, you know, uh, but then there's also maybe uh, marketing to a certain degree or advertising, which is telling you to uh, maybe okay smoke the cigarette or spend all your money betting or but see i don't think that really counts as art in that way like i mean i guess the art like when i say art as knowledge i mean okay yeah there is some kind of knowledge in in the actual craft that that involves but i think i'm thinking including like the kind of ideals and criticality and all that so, like, if you have uh, a show that has, a, you know, a bad <laughs> vision or whatever, then it, it, it's, like, luckily inserted into a context where this will be discussed, right? And I think that that is exactly what it can do, right? It's like you, the point of it is that it doesn't exist in a vacuum, right? It exists within a discourse and if it's there, it's probably a reaction to something that is happening in society. And then it's relevant. Do you know what I mean? It's not, again, it's like a little bit like, I mean, is there such a thing as a bad artwork? I mean, it's sort of, it's a question of preference in the end. And it's like, there will always be an expression of the context we're living in. Because I think, I think you're completely right in terms of the idea of art and this idea of uh, it's a way where by especially if you have been given or you are trained in a certain visual literacy, literacy for example and this idea of being able to sit with okay maybe there are two different things here so I think when you go in and you're able to sit with that ambiguity I think that is 
can be quite an uncomfortable experience, but can also be a very, very good experience, being able to sit with an ambiguity and, and, and trying to wrestle with your interpretation of a, of a work. It's very good to then be able to express how something really annoys you or how something actually uh, impresses you. And I think as I've gotten older, we've reflected on this quite a few times, that as I get older, I, I get much kinder to artworks. And I often get much kinder because I know in terms of when you're an artist and you're making a work, it's, it can be quite difficult and context is often king and things can be taken out of their context. And often I find the trouble is not necessarily with the, the artwork. It's often with the way it's presented and the, or the curation around it and the discourse around it, for example. So when you ask that question slightly rhetorically about can an artwork be good or bad, I'm finding myself very, very, I think maybe anything can be very good in, the, in a certain context and completely ridiculous outside of other contexts. And I think that works can be very good in a certain moment, in a certain time. And then taken out of their time and their context, they suddenly become very, well, like just bad. You know, they, they, like trying to reenact them or try and redo them or something like that. So I think much like that, that, uh, that idea of maybe not art as a knowledge, but certainly art as a, as a, as a tool for, it's like a, almost like a, I don't want to say like a spiritual tool, but it does something with the soul, right? And it sort of lets lets you sit with uncomfortableness, or lets you sit with things that are a little bit awkward. And that's not like knowledge, or yeah, I think that's, but that's maybe just my prejudice, right? How I would, uh, how I would uh, uh, knowledge in the sense that obviously one should have knowledge of their their soul, and that's good to have knowledge of their soul. Um, and obviously one has to have knowledge of that framework as well, of how to think around things. Um, but I think it's also there are certain things that you can only say in, so that they're heard, when, if you use methods where it's not, where it's not so direct. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's a way of actually kind of penetrating a, a, a sort of resistance as well. Yeah, definitely. It, like it is a bypass, but it it's also art is not linear. I think so much about how we think about knowledge formation is of it, it's distinctly linear. And I think art does not operate in that framework at all. And I think that is a real boon or a, a really integral aspect of why art forms knowledge in its own unique way and why that is uh distinctly valuable that one thing does not necessarily lead to, to something else that these two things and that it can embrace contradiction and uh, paradox in a way that other models don't have the capacity to do or like more analytical models or more um, mathematical mo I mean yeah I, I think, I, think I mean, that's, yeah. that's, a, that's a super good point because we always think of knowledge as getting to a, a fundamental or a more truer truth, if that makes sense. 
and of course that's maybe to a certain degree all around us right this this general understanding of what it is to know and this idea that we discover the truth and it's uncovered in some way um and we're getting we're we're increasing our knowledge both individually and collectively as humanity about all these different things and but oh are we right i mean yes, it's like yes, this this yes. that is exactly the kind of complex right like on the one hand we are but we're also creating non-knowledge all the time right so it's like there's just more and more information and um yeah i don't know <laughs> no I, like it's it's a, it's a super a super valid point um because i i think it's what you were saying there uh, there ruth about this idea of art as something that operates slightly differently this idea that yeah that 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 it feels weird there's there's obviously that very famous picasso quote when he goes to see all the masks right in the ethnographic museum and he goes ah oh, we have learned nothing you know one of those famous picasso quotes right this idea that there's maybe also the danger in the opposite this idea that knowledge is not something that has been that is being gained but it's also something that is uh, that has been lost as well that there's lost knowledge and your job is to uncover it if that makes sense and i think that or maybe art doesn't operate uh that's the best way to put it it's so contingent, like those artistic truths, if you will. They're so contingent on the place and time. For example, I'm thinking of Vienna actionists or something like that who are on stage reenacting like rape and they're fucking a chicken. And it's in the <laughs> okay. context of like de, de, you know, denazifying uh, Austria. You know, their, their, their idea was that na uh, Austria was never properly denazified. So we have to, you know, we stage a performance where we're all naked and we're pretending to rape someone and then we fuck the chicken and then we kill the chicken. And there's a certain degree where transgression was understood as a virtue in art in and of itself. Whereas now looking back on that, it seems all a little bit silly. The idea that you would counter Nazism or something like that uh, by, you know, killing the chicken or uh, this seems really, really stupid in that idea of art outside of it, its context feels like it's this uh, like it, it suddenly becomes very mysterious and and bizarre and alien but that would be the same with with kind of science results as well right i mean yeah are you i'm, I'm a little unsure are you Suggesting that because we're now outside of the context, that we... I'm saying there's it's a bumpy road. <laughs> it's a bumpy road. And that, that, and that certain modes, which historically would be automatically assumed to have value and meaning, like this idea of transgression in art, I think especially when I was, maybe even up until I was at art school, was assumed to be a a priori good, right? 
that if you were transgressing, you were doing something good because you were going against uh, bourgeois morality or something like that. Whereas now, I think it's much more complicated. And I think that, firstly, if you do something that's trans transgressive just by virtue of being transgressive, it's no longer got a, a cultural cachet in the way that it did. People think of it as a bit cringe or a bit laughable even that somebody would think of this thing as edgy and cool but perhaps also because there isn't like i mean it's so hard to transgress now compared perhaps or like like it's sort of i don't know well that's exactly it's it, it it's context dependent right so you know it's it served a purpose in its time so <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I'm, 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 I'm trying to think about this in terms of uh, both what you said about um, like art as as uh, as knowledge, but then also thinking about it in terms of when we're talking about like failure and and that taking something out of out of its context can put a strain on an artwork that maybe doesn't. Uh, like it's it's very difficult for us to be there in that moment, say when a Vienna actionist was, you know, they were doing whatever the fuck they were doing, you know. Whereas some things we can look back on, like Eve Klein, you know, dragging about the women in the blue paint and stuff, and it's just so uh, 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 it's cringe, folks. It's cringe, you know, dragging dragging about these naked women and making paintings from the naked women. There's a certain degree to which we feel that we've move beyond that as a valid form of art or something like that. Yet, at the same time, there also seems to be something valuable about preserving that legacy, even as something that is in a museum, to be able to say, look what we did, and it was a bit, it was bad, and it was a reflection of certain norms and certain expectations. But we don't have a way of actually, like you say, of being in that moment, so we don't know what, like, because... You know, who knows if that would have felt like revolutionary, revolutionary, even to the women at that time, compared to what came before, right? I mean, yeah, so we we project backwards our moral superiority, and we don't really think about how the shit that we're probably doing that's that people might find really, really objectionable. But this really, this really makes me think of like James Webb. I don't know if you've been obsessively following this, but anyway, it's like apparently like this, um, this machine uh, is <laughs> is like may, uh, there was some astronomer who was I think he phrased it something like that. It's making us aware of how little we know. That it's like you know, it's not making us wiser. It's making us realize our kind of limitations and i mean i think maybe that's just a good sign right that we that the fact that we can look back and it now seems kind of cringy or kind of uh banal or whatever like or, and sexist and all that like it just means we've made progress right and maybe it's good for exactly that reason to have it on display so we i mean i don't know we know where we came from <laughs> Yeah, and I think I think that's quite interesting. That idea of of how you, when you're talking about 
like art is this moment to uh, to sort of learn a, a sort of visual criticality. Maybe that's my phrase rather than your phrase. This idea of of a site where one can engage in a certain degree of un, uh, of uh, uh, non economically productive sort of. Uh, seeking or, or, or thinking uh, then it's also something not just about the artwork you're looking at but it's also maybe more of a general uh, like a general life skill in a way some sort of maybe I'm again putting words in your mouth that it's that it's also maybe something that can be taken out of that context and added to other contexts like it, it trains Sudoku for critical thinking for one of a better perhaps yeah totally but I also like you know ideally like artistic research would eventually get to a point where it would be quoted as much amongst uh, philosophers and uh, historians whatever other researchers so that it became an exchange right rather than like artists kind of like having to read up on theorists in order to include them in their research I mean yeah. yeah, like art being the terminal point for knowledge, yeah. going in this one direction. In terms of um, when you're doing, when you were doing your, your your PhD, and I mean, obviously, what we're interested in, I think, a lot of the time is is like failure, right? Um, what room did you feel you had to fail, <laughs> or did you, or is it, or how do you relate? How do you relate to this idea of? Of failure, do you think you could have ever done something in that context and in your own parameters? Like, what would have been a failure for you, basically? Are you asking specifically about the PhD or in a broader practice? Oh, why not? Why not both? If it's easier to think mm, about both, yeah. I mean, I guess the, the PhD. Um, automatically, like quite a lot of it is kind of understanding that context and those expectations. So, like, I feel like those are two very different failures in a way because um, also at this time, I feel like that artistic research uh, as a field is, like, very um, unformulated and different in different contexts. So, like, there's one in Norway that's definitely different from the one in Denmark that's definitely different from the one in London so it's like it would be easy to fail just crossing those borders do you know what I mean just on in terms of like the regulations and the expectations but like on a personal level um, I feel like I, I there were plenty of like sub projects in the projects that were forms of failure. I mean, I don't even rem remember that all of them, like they got scrapped along the way. Right. Um, and I guess like the, um, the thing that defines whether it's a failure or not is, I guess like how, how well the work kind of balances this, like being didactic, or being ambiguous, or being implicit, or being like kind of how successful it, uh, it is at kind of creating a space where the question is kind of hanging in the air as opposed to like you're being told or you have no idea what's going on. 
So it's like I, I think that that is just such a an abstract experience. It's like you know it when it when it works, and you know it when it when it doesn't. Um, and I mean that is obviously so. If you're talking about that within artistic research, then you sort of have to well argue that right. Why is it working? What is it? How is it successful in communicating exactly what I wanted? And there's part of that where I kind of feel like it can tip over and become sort of justification. Uh, and I, I, I think like all my supervisors were so so great in kind of like steering me away from doing that and like st sticking with the project sort of on its own terms in that just trying to kind of even in the sort of reflection that communicated it I tried to kind of make that in a way do the same thing so it's like I had to be a little bit di didactic I guess or like explaining uh, certain decisions so but I um but I sort of staged it in a way where that kind of the question hanging in the air was also part of the, the reflection so I because I didn't really want to kind of like just unravel the artwork and say like this bit was that and then I did this because I wanted that or like I didn't want it to be unpacked in that way um but I did also I mean I wanted to be generous about all the kind of different sort of thoughts I'd had along the way um well there was like a specific work that I mean I still feel really really awkward about um where I sort of ended up using um god what's his name again Facebook owner um so, yeah Zuckerberg he said sort of some very it's like a couple of famous sentences in court um uh, i think it's something like facebook is an idealistic and blah 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 institution i don't know so i kind of i i sort of co-opted that into like the script of a of a video i was making sort of like because i just thought it was like he was talking with such kind of virtue that was just so thick and it was like it was so clearly like uh, a lie <laughs> but it was like so well kind of scripted in that court hearing but the minute I kind of put it in the work it just became such a kind of one-liner kind of so straightforwardly kind of translated from one thing to another it was like there was no mystery but I'd kind of written it and I'd gotten this voice actor to record it and it's like everything was kind of made around that soundtrack, so I couldn't really take it out again. And I just had to kind of work with that, and I tried in every way to sort of edit it again and again and again until like it sort of stopped being that, but I'm not totally sure. <laughs> I'm not sure, sure it sort of ever got there. But, I mean, we've maybe talked about a little bit about good and bad artwork, meaning that, we're, 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 I interpret it that there's a certain degree of skepticism around the idea that an artwork could be good or bad, right? No, it's more like I, I think that that is in a way very personal. It's like I have very uh, 
I'm, I don't have many favorite artworks. You know what I mean? I'm very conservative with like the stuff I really like, but it doesn't mean that all the works that don't particularly talk to me that I'd rather they weren't there. It's just like, it's so preference based and it's like, even if, if there was work where I'd be like, Ooh, this is pretty bad. I, I kind of also totally respect that that is, you know, it may lead to something else, right? It's still, it's still okay that it's, it's part of the pool. <laughs> also like, again, to kind of, you know, that is the same in any discipline, right? You cannot have uh, a discipline that only produces masterpieces. It's just simply not possible. Do you think we have a dysfunctional relationship to the idea of like success and failure, both in the arts, but uh, like more broadly, like this idea of like the masterpiece as, or as the success or... Yeah, but I wonder if that isn't also kind of amplified by the way sort of pop cultures. I mean, it's I mean it's been around forever, right? But it, it seems like with social media and like that way of circulating things, it's really that something is popular is automatically also a kind of stamp of success. That that I think is actually kind of new, or like you know, I don't think it was totally like that when I was a teenager, for example, like before the internet in a way. Um, and I, th I think like the way, so the art world has kind of like very much kind of developed alongside that development and the idea of like certain curators pointing to the, to the, to the right artist. And then it's like, you kind of, I think sometimes anyway, you know, a certain criticality sort of exits that whole system, right? Because it's so much about, Mm, yeah, I don't know, certain, uh, well, I don't know, qualifiers of, or like certain people qualifying things. You're, you're meaning like, uh, like networks and friendships and. Well, in that, in, in a way that's like best case scenario, right? I mean, worst case scenario is if it's like, you know, certain sort of career curators that kind of make the calls and then there's like not enough I don't know if it's like curiosity or whatever for like the art world to kind of absorb like alternative strands of art making I mean I also I think it's sort of it comes down to critical mass as well like in places where there are plenty of uh, art schools and like energy and people to produce you also get like wider like in a way I feel like in those places, it becomes about like discovering the things that nobody heard about. Whereas, like in smaller art communities, it's about like, oh, who's what? What's the new thing? So it's like it's like everybody kind of goes for the same thing for three months, and then it shifts to the next. So it's like kind of different dynamics of kind of herd culture, I guess. Yeah, I guess I like because we've integrated failure into the project as. Uh or, you know, it's like a, a name, part of her name. It's like failure, understanding Karen Kunst and thinking about pa failure as like a, a positive, um, positive way of engaging with the world or a positive way of advancing, particularly in regards to 
environmental considerations uh or yeah i think maybe thinking about the our, our incapacity to move past particular notions of success and failure is maybe obstructive to making the changes we need to actually deal with the environmental crisis and that that and that, that that is partially you know this productive yeah if we're thinking about what knowledge is acceptable it's the productive or the consum- uh, consumerist knowledge and therefore we are abandoning or disregarding knowledges that are maybe riskier and more experimental but could also maybe give us uh, a different exit or could like make us actually desire different things right because I think so much of our, our world is, that's the contradiction, right? And the kind of whole climate crisis. In a way, it's like we're constantly bombarded with like signs that make us want to consume more and participate more in destroying the planet. And the same t- at the same time, we're kind of feeling incredibly guilty for doing it. But it's like, so in that way, it's sort of like, well, I'm not saying all art kind of offers this, but it is potentially an alternative to buying shitloads of stuff the whole time. I mean... <laughs> like, i.e. the experience of art or like engaging with art as a hobby. Well, because a, a lot of this consumerism yeah. is really like, how do you spend your the free time you've earned with your job, right? I mean, what is the best way of... Like, what is the good life, right? And, uh, and uh, in a way... Like, can't art offer something that is maybe less kind of ridiculous? In I mean, I'm I'm not saying it necessarily does at the moment, but it could. Yeah. No, I definitely think it offers an, an escape. Or yeah, I mean, it, it seems from what what you you've been talking about, you're very much interested in this idea of almost like a a conceptual shift in how one understands. Art, I suppose, not just necessarily about, like, you know, I don't know, like artistic research or something like that, but this idea of what art can do and what art can give a viewership, if that makes sense, that it that it's uh, like a, to- a tool, a tool for life in in some way and in many many different ways. So it's, it feels you're very much invested in this idea of. Yeah, I suppose what would be a best way to put it. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but art as art, art as a a technology. What's the fickle thing? You know, a technology of life. Well, or a way of being, right? Or sort of like basically that 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 is like the lens to see the world through, or something. So that it's because I think most people see at them like you know. I also do that myself, but like you see the lens through like all kinds of practical things like what is the easiest way for me to like get to a position where I have a certain degree of comfort <laughs> or like I mean it's sort of that that is so centered around like just practicalities around like making the good life but I think it's like once you start asking like well is there other other versions of the good life and I really think that art has that potential anyway. 
in terms of the good life how would how does art fit into the good life or how have you integrated art into the good life of your good life i've worked the whole fucking time yeah, <laughs> i yeah. mean it's like i love it yeah i mean i I, there's, I love nothing more than like ideas and discussing art and thinking about art and i mean sometimes even making it right i mean even if that's also sometimes frustrating it's like there was something so satisfying about being in that world for me or like discovering like I don't know, sort of how other people's ideas, like from other times in the other places, like how, I mean, I don't know how, how there's like, how you can communicate through art rather than through triviality in a way. That it's sort of like that you, you, you discover someone, someone that you've never met, but you kind of know that there is like a crossover and that it's not so specific or something, but you relate. Oh, I don't know. I'm trying to think about the other lenses because I, I think it's very familiar to me, this idea of like the art as the lens with which I move through the world or understand things and explore things. It's a very, uh, for me, useful uh, way of providing uh, an understanding. Or yeah, just a framework rather than just floating freely. But I'm trying to think of other lenses that people can use that could be like football, maybe being a lens with which actually people do navigate the world very yeah, effectively. Yeah, uh, but the, the way, yeah, I'm trying to think about, because there's a very uh, uh, simple way. Uh, what's, what's the... Japanese practice uh, feng shui or something like that where the idea is that everything becomes aestheticized so I suppose that is one way of navigating or interpreting what you're saying but I think I think there's also something much uh, deeper in, w in what you're saying which is about integrating art as a means of which to <laughs> like that it's a self uh like it's 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 also the like the way to get through life like it's it's going to the gym mm. in a way right and the way that you keep, you go to the gym to keep you know because if you go to the gym your your mental health improves <laughs> you know your your body improves your fitter and in a way art is a, a a kind of like a going to the gym in the sense that either making it engaging with it and engaging with the discourse and presumably by doing more of the engaging you become sharper in a way right and sharper meaning that you you're able to maybe see through bullshit a little bit more or um you're you're able to you're able to uh engage with it i'd imagine to answer your, your question or that's at least how i interpret what you're trying to say and i think in terms of what you're saying i'm thinking maybe like uh i think maybe like journalism or something like that like another way to look through the world uh, is also yeah journalism in terms of this idea of taking a plurality of voices and making a narrative from it maybe is also a way I'm thinking conspiracy theorism mm. is also a way right uh, 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 like how you make sense of the world um, but I mean it does yeah I mean I'm sure in a way it's, also, it's true for all those things but 
I mean, as an artist, it's like the choices you make. I mean, there there are consequences, right? I mean, you cannot really. Well, most artists make enormous sacrifices, like because I mean, maybe Norway is exceptional in that you can actually survive on art, but I don't think there are many other places where that's possible, right? So you, it's like you kind of have to lead a degree of like double life where you have an income from somewhere else and probably not spend that much money, right? I mean, that is a given. That's an, like most people would find that. I think a huge sacrifice and it's one that artists are kind of willing to make. So I think it's also like, it's a way of navigating a system that is kind of like not really cut out for <laughs> artists as well. Right. I mean, it's yeah. like everything around being an artist is kind of benefiting other people more mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because it's like, it doesn't really count as work in the same way. It doesn't really count as a, as a kind of public participation in a way yeah there is something there is something to be said about this divorcing art from its very what's the best way to put it obviously i think artists should be paid right you know when you're exhibiting somewhere or blah 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 you should get paid or something like that but i think obviously it becomes a little bit extreme like there seems something strange if you weren't making art outside of a context where it was purely transactional you know i think some people it obviously has become that for them meaning that there is a certain degree of transaction but even people who are very interested in making money from their art very rarely it's purely done out of purely commercial concerns um but i'd imagine i'd imagine it it it, it can be um but it seems like what you're saying is that like many artists, you would just make art anyway, you know, whether you were making money from it or not, you know, well, you find out sad, your niche. Right? Yeah. I, mean, that's the, I think it's like, that is the, that is basically the kind of contract. It's like, well, what can I live with? Because <laughs> uh, like, I mean, I think most art, uh, artists, like at some point have probably considered this, right? You know, selling out or whatever, uh, you know, at, getting a job and then living without but i'm i'm not sure like yeah for me anyway where that point is <laughs> yeah but i do think that points to uh maybe again maybe this is very difficult to think in uh contemporary th thinking about failure and success um but th the spiritual qualities that art offers and that's not to say in like a woo sense but just that it 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 fulfills a part of the human experience that goes beyond the consumerist or this idea of production or uh, uh, particular notions of uh, of work and yeah. There seems to be a there seems to be a battle here, from what I hear from you, Anna, <laughs> about this this constant fight between the the binary of. Uh, the, what one needs to survive and this idea of the of creativity right of engaging in all those things of, of making work and it seems that despite all the big words that we're probably using today there seems to be a very uh, pragmatic focus to both your art and your life 
and getting to the stage and the point where they can be integrated seamlessly, if that makes sense. So you, you don't have to compromise on necessarily the content of your artwork that you can continue making in it, in, for want of a better word, a pure way. So it seems to be that the philosophy here is also a very pragmatic philosophy you're engaging in, <laughs> if that makes sense. Well, you mean like as opposed to kind of like taking assignments and being a bit creative for money or what? I don't know if I'm opposing it to anything. Uh, I'm just m more meaning that there's maybe just something quite commendable about that approach whereby uh, you've obviously thought very hard about how these how to make art and how to integrate it into your life so you can still get all the things that you want from you know a, a certain degree of comfort in your life for want of a better phrase uh and also being able to to make art without having to compromise on the the quality of the art or, or something like that meaning that you, you know you you're not um or even the quality of your life you know there, there there seems to be an integrated philosophy here but i mean i don't know i also feel like it's just circumstances right because like what is a sustainable art practice really like do you know anyone who's got one I you live in Norway, so that must be some. But. Yeah, I mean, just to reflect, just to reflect on your previous point about this idea of, yeah, I mean, every, I mean, I'd say we know quite a few. We're at the stage now in our lives where we know quite a few successful artists. Um, you know, we don't know, like, uh, I don't know Jeff Koons. You know. Um, Okay, well, I'm sure his his practice is sustainable. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, but, but, financially, anyway. But yeah, I think with coming with coming from Norway, I mean, that's the that's the strange thing is that when you are at a certain level in your career, like say you show at a, an institution in Norway, that's your job, right? You're an artist and you're making art all the time, and you've got the grant, and you've got a little bit of support for all these little projects coming in. In the UK, artists who do exhibit, even at the institutional level, are working also as uh, gallery technicians. They're working as uh, uh, either in, in private or public institutions or marketing department. Yeah, yeah, and people our age are, are more likely to, if they're a man, <laughs> be involved in technical work, or if they're a, a woman, to be. Yeah, they get sucked into the administration or the marketing at an art institution. Now, again, there's a certain pragmatism there uh, involved, I'm sure, by everyone. But obviously, I feel that if you are an artist who's wanted somewhere in Norway, meaning if somebody takes a vague interest in your art, you you can be an artist you know it's not it's like uh like in the uk if i said like i want to be an artist they would it's like a, you know like you want to be a film star or you want to be a rock star whereas in norway it's more like you want to be a plumber or you want to be a pilot or you want to be a i don't know a landscape gardener or a farmer it's a career option in norway due to the the, the state funding in a way that it 
maybe isn't in the UK, whereby you have to you you have to work some kind of shitty job that you probably don't like and don't want to do to remain in say a, a city because you think it's cool or something like that or to study on a course in the UK you know on a master's course so you can get your stamp of approval or that is my that is my observation I don't know if that's but totally, if too, but I, too but dissimilar. I actually, I mean, maybe you have very different experiences of the UK, but that is my no, no, totally. I, I, I hear you, but I also think I think in a way it's like UK isn't actually the uh, the exception here. It's it's Norway that's the exception. I mean, because Denmark has some arts funding, but I mean, artists in Denmark are much more precarious than in in Norway. And when, to, yeah, when you're talking about sustainability as well, obviously. Well, the, the, by, by sustainable, uh, I actually meant like, you know, as a practice. Maintaining a practice. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. And of course, I'm, I'm sure if there is a big economic downturn, I don't know how much money is still going to be coming into those Norwegian, you know, grant systems or something like that. I mean, I really don't know. Um, it's uh, maybe worth pointing out that actually a lot of the not all of it, but a lot of the arts funding, uh, at least the artist grants, come from tax that's put on the sale of art. So it's a slightly closed system, and it's out of the hands of uh, a lot of politicians. But presumably, if there's an economic downturn, less people would buy yeah, art, definitely. and therefore, but there'd be less money in the yeah. in the pot as well. No, how are we getting on? How are we feeling? Should we try and wrap up? I wish we had a, a, a happy good end. roundup question. Yeah, it was uh, <laughs> something pithy and fun. No, I mean you can just talk about what you're up to and you know what mm. what, what you're what you're thinking and thinking about you know going forward with and how how maybe like your experiences of well I yeah yeah your your recent experience yeah sorry carry on and how how that's maybe changed and how you maybe expect to go forward. Uh, well, yeah, I guess like. Right now I'm working on a work that's kind of very unpolitical and it's very personal and it's, uh, it feels incredibly kind of vulner vulnerable and revealing and um, my own voice is in it and it's kind of unbearable. But, <laughs> but it's, I also find it incredibly funny. So it's like it, in, a, in a way I feel like this uh, kind of letting go of a bit of this kind of uh, the colonial discourse and all the kind of trauma and like uh, I don't the the weight of that subject kind of really made me kind of long to just kind of dig into something that I mean this is also kind of challenging but more on a personal level I, I'm not sort of I don't have to uh, be on top of a very uh, sort of complicated and um, like explosive discourse uh so but yeah anyway it's um it's an audio work where i'm in conversation with my uh uncle who had a stroke and um at the time of the stroke a danish artist called jens Horning um made this work i don't know if maybe you've heard of it um which uh is called take the money and run which actually meant that he stole the money from a museum that yeah i won't go into that but basically in the hospital, my uncle 
sort of, I mean, he says it's got nothing to do with the stroke. I assume it might have a little bit to do with that, but he suddenly got very convinced that that was his cousin, Jens Horning. So he's, uh, and, and also his, his father was called Jens Horning and his grandfather. So like my whole family is kind of named the same as this famous artist and like everyone in the art world in, in Denmark assumes that we're related, right? So it's like there is, he's always been around as this kind of like fictive person in my life. And now my uncle is like insisting that he's not fiction, but actually his cousin. So it's like a conversation around that. And I'm sort of framing it as like, I guess I'm pairing it with like our kind of general problem with truth and the internet and kind of how, you know, when is like, yeah, when, when is something true? Like, is it enough to agree that it's true or, and <laughs> I think that's very, very funny. <laughs> But also be amazing if it turns out like long lost. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that you actually are related in this fictic, I'm fictic pretty sure or this not, figure, though, this character turns out to actually be. Yeah, yeah. no. Are we, yeah, I'm, I'm sure we could forge some documents of like a church baptism registrars. This podcast was brought to you by us, Ruth Aitken and James Stewart Lee. This podcast has been funded by the Norwegian Arts Council, Norsk Kulturråd, and been made possible with the help of Nicholas Horner and Tromsø Art Academy, who've been generous enough to let us use their facilities. We'd also, of course, like to extend our thanks to Anna Honning for giving us so much of her time and her thoughts and ideas and uh, gifting us a lovely conversation. The sounds you've been listening to in this episode were made by Jack's Broken Head from the failures, errors, glitches and offcuts from today's episode. We are back with a new episode next Thursday on all major streaming platforms. <laughs> <laughs>